where does assurance of salvation come from? That's a question a lot of younger students want to know the answer to. How can I have assurance of salvation? How can I have assurance of eternal life? How do I know I'm the real deal? Well, it comes from following God's roadmap for perseverance. Perseverance. God's roadmap for perseverance. Perseverance, by the way, is a big theological word. And I'm not going to define it for you quite yet. I want to show it to you in our text. This is a roadmap for perseverance. God doesn't want you to hope. God doesn't want you to wish. God wants you to know with certainty that you are his child and have hope for that. What is God's roadmap? If I was to give it one word, it is this. Your life contends. It contends for the faith. That is God's roadmap to assurance. We are here in the letter of Jude. Jude is the half-brother, as he is called, of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the half-brother because him and Jesus have a different father. Scandal, right? Jesus was born of a virgin. He didn't have a father. And Jude was his brother by Joseph. By the way, James also, a little bit earlier on in the New Testament, was also the half-brother of Jesus. And notice, Jude starts it out in Jude 1. He doesn't even call himself the brother of Jesus. I mean, that that would be kind of a pretty fun name to drop, right? Hey, Jude, uh, bro of Jesus, you better listen to me. He doesn't say that. He says, look what he says. He says, Jude, a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So this is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. He writes in the late 60s, probably right before the Temple of Jerusalem was destroyed, right after Second Peter, because he actually quotes from Second Peter. We're going to see that in our passage tonight. Very interesting. And he writes to a church to, in one word, contend for the faith. Look what he says there in verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then the reason why it's so important, because there's a lot of false teachers wandering around. You'll see that in verse 5 all the way down through most of the chapter. He, he's mainly writing about false teachers. You could, you could break up the letter to Jude this way. Verses 4 all the way down through 16, Jude urges his readers to contend for the faith in all seriousness because there are false teachers about trying to destroy your faith and ruin your assurance. And then in verse 17 through 23, where we're going to be in tonight, we see we are to contend for the faith with all diligence. And then in verses 24 through 25, his doxology, his best for last doxology, he's going to say contend for the faith with all security. And of course, what we're doing, this is our final message in our series, best for last, right? We're going to, we're just jumping at the end of every letter that we can find that has a really cool doxology or benediction at the end. Um, and kind of just jumping there and seeing what does it have to show us and how can we learn about the whole book? So Jude really writes to believers to contend for the faith. And in the passage we're in tonight in verse 17, he gives us a roadmap for assurance. So open up your Bibles, get ready, uh, get your pens ready. What is the roadmap for assurance? Well, number one, the first step 
would be take heed of the Bible's warnings. Take heed of the Bible's warnings. Or you could say it like this, take seriously the dangers that exist to your faith, particularly that come from false teachers. Verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, and this is Second Peter, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. The person who is most susceptible to false teaching is the one who doesn't take seriously the warnings of scripture, who doesn't prepare, who doesn't apply God's plan for assurance. And that's what we we see here. We see here that we should expect more and more, not less and less, but more and more, we should expect deceivers to come. People that are going to try to twist God's words. Um, Because we are strongly warned about them here, this whole entire letter is basically a warning about false teachers, and it takes a huge part of the New Testament as well. Uh, Paul's last words to Ephesus in Acts 20. Paul's final words to Timothy in 2 Timothy. uh, Peter's final words in 2 Peter 2. John's final words in his epistles all talk about the danger of false teachers. And if you've ever read 1 John before, it's a letter about assurance. False teachers ruin your assurance. We should be wary of them because we know they're going to be there. But also, we we see here in this passage, we should be wary of them because they are powerfully motivated. They're strongly motivated. They They will do their work earnestly. Why? Well, it says in verse 18, they are following ungodly passions. These are worldly people. Ungodly passions is a very strong term. This leads them to be scoffers, people who mock. A scoffer in 2 Peter is someone who says, where is the promise of Jesus' coming? This is who a false teacher is. They're like, hey, Jesus is not going to come right now. We don't need to worry about Jesus. Where is he coming? So they scoff, so they, they mock. And then we also see the probably the biggest reason why they are motivated is because they have a devious uh, Lord who rules over them that motivates them right? They are not ruled by the Spirit. They are devoid of the Spirit. And where the Spirit is not, the devil has free roam. And I, um, I read this quote once in R.C. Uh, J.C. Ryle, his thoughts for young men. And I really like it. It's a really good quote. He said, hey, young man, you might not care about your soul, but the devil cares a lot about your soul. So you should really care about your soul. These men are powerfully motivated. They are ruled by the devil. Um, all of these kinds of things are true about them. What do false teachers teach? Well, basically, they always kind of want to destroy three pillars of the Christian faith. They want to downplay. They want to diminish. They want to reject the need for Jesus as Savior. They're going to say, hey, you don't need Jesus that much. You just need him kind of as an addition to your life. But you can actually kind of work your way there by yourself. They downplay, they diminish, or they even reject the Savior. They downplay, they diminish, they reject the need for Scripture. Hey, you know what? The Bible's fine, but we found this book. 
And man, if you could just get this book, it would unlock all the secrets of life and happiness. It's called The Essential. No, never mind. It is a book. They, they, they downplay the need for the scriptures, and then also they downplay and diminish or reject the truths of salvation, that, that you are a sinner, that you are a sinner before God, that God is holy, righteous, and he's going to send judgment for every, every thought, word, and deed that we do that is against him. And that you need a substitute. And God provided you that substitute in Jesus Christ. They downplay all of that. Why? Because they want to believe in themselves, in their own works, and they want to feel good about themselves. So, essentially, the warning here is him just saying, remember, remember the warnings. Expect the danger. Live alert lives. Know that these people are powerfully motivated. Notice they're, they're, power, they're powerfully motivated by their own lusts, by their own passions. It seems it feels good and right to them. And let's look at our next point in the roadmap to um, assurance, we could say. The next point, it's not enough just to be defensive in your thoughts. You should also be uh, offensive. You should also go on the attack a little bit. This is the next part in the roadmap to assurance. Take personal responsibility in sanctification. Take the commands of the Bible very seriously. If you will contend, if you will persevere, if you will follow Christ, if you will be holy as he who called you is holy, you must take personal responsibility in sanctification. You must do things. You must seek the Lord. Look at what he says there in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, notice verse 21, the command, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Oh, what does it look like to keep yourself in the love of God? That's very crazy language. Keep yourself in the love of God. What does that look like? Well, we see what it looks like. Number one, you must build up your faith. You must strengthen your faith. Matter of fact, keep your hand in Jude and turn over just a few pages to Second Peter. Like I said, Jude and Peter, they're kind of written near one another. Jude might have been reading 2 Peter. So there's some things that Peter says that I think is right for us to look at. But look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Look at what Peter says, not 2 Peter, but just Peter, um, in his second letter. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that so that through uh, through them we may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire that's great his divine promises have given us so many things but then look at how he concludes look at what he says in response to the great promises of god for this very reason, verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Then verse 8, for if these qualities, those things that he listed in 5 all the way down through 7, if these qualities are yours and are increasing 
They will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice, the sign that you prize, that you value, verses 3 through 4, are that you are doing verses 5 and forward, right? If these promises are so precious, Peter is saying, do these things, verse 5, add to your faith, supplement, build up your faith. And then notice in verse 6, qualities, certain qualities are required in your life if you want to be effective and if you want to be fruitful. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And then notice also in in verse 9, when these qualities are lacking, what do they produce in your life? When when your faith is not growing, what happens? Confusion increases. Failure increases. Insecurity increases. Lack of assurance increases. You're nearsighted. You're forgetting things. You're forgetting what should be priorities in your life if these qualities are not yours. Your life becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. If you are not building up your faith, you have weak assurance. So take advantage, right? Take advantage of every opportunity you are given to build up your faith. Take advantage to gather together with the community of the saints and hear preaching and prayer and pray for one another and, and seek out one another for help and prayer. Know your Bibles. Know your Bibles well so that you can think clearly, hear good teaching, join in worship. Take advantage of these things every chance you get, because these are helping you to build up your faith. Matter of fact, Acts 20, 32, you should write down this reference. This is amazing. I commend you, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance. The word of God builds up your faith. It is through the word of God that you build up your faith as well. Listen, you don't need disciplines in your life. You don't need all of these practices in your life just when your life is difficult. You need these disciplines and practices in your life for when your life becomes difficult and challenging. Build up your faith in the easy times so that you'll be prepared in the hard times to hold fast to God and have full assurance of faith. Uh, Turn back over to Jude. That was just a freebie. There you go. A freebie from 2 Peter. Build up your faith. That is how you keep yourself. That is how you take personal responsibility. You, 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 you memorize 2 Peter 1 and you work on those things. You apply it to your life. Another one that's really easy here in Jude, Jude verse 20. You must pray filled prayers. Notice what he says. And praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit isn't something special or fancy, I would suppose. It's not some sort of mystical thing. It is simply praying according to the will of God 
in the direction that God is going, seeking his desires, seeking his direction, all of these things. It's basically just praying according to what the Bible says. And the Bible is full of ways to pray. You don't even need to pray in the parts of the Bible that are prayers. You can pray on the non-prayer parts. You should funnel your prayers in the direction that God is going. That is how you pray in the Spirit, and you receive power in that way. You must build up your faith, number one. You must pray filled prayers. And then another thing that you take personal responsibility in is you wait. You eagerly await for the mercy of God in your life. Notice what he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Notice there's a quality of this waiting. There's a quality of this waiting. It it results in or leads to eternal life. As 1 John 3, 3 says, uh, this, this kind of prayer, this kind of waiting, this kind of anticipation actually purifies your heart. You, you're eagerly waiting for him to come, right? Christians sing that song because they are waiting for him to come because home is where he is. That's where I belong. I belong with you and I'm eagerly exciting and you're waiting for the mercy of God. Faith as we have said, is a willingness to wait for the promises of God, right? It's a patience with God's word. I'm going to wait on God. And notice faith also waits. Notice what faith is waiting for. It's a blessed hope because it is a hope rooted in the mercy of God. It's not hoping in a God who's going to, at the last day, say, were you good enough? No, it's hoping in a God that has taken mercy on you. And so then it is a blessed hope in Christ Jesus. Let's look at our next roadmap for assurance or perseverance. Still trying to figure out what that means. Number three, take wisdom to your mission field. Take wisdom to your mission field. Chances are, if you're growing in your spiritual life, you're going to start looking different than maybe the people that surround you in your life. You're going you're gonna to find that you're strange in their eyes, and they are strange in your eyes. And you're going to be tempted with two thoughts in that moment. How should I think about these people? Are these people in my life that don't know Jesus, are, are they the enemy? Or are they the mission field? I would suggest... They are the mission field, and you need wisdom for how to seek them out in evangelism and help. Some of these people might be under false teaching. Some of these people might be lost completely. You're surrounded by people. What kind of wisdom are we seeing from our passage on how to reach people like these? Notice verse 22. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Let me just point out one little observation. Notice the word that dominates those two verses. Mercy. You you look at other people with this pity, with this compassion, with this sorrow almost. You have this spiritual imagination that you see their condition better than they even see it themselves, and you have mercy on them. But we need to be wise in how we interact with unbelievers. We even need to be wise with how we interact with people that are under false teaching. And 
Jude gives us some directions. Matter of fact, he, you see, he kind of describes three different people that we should have three different responses towards. So who are these three different people? Well, the first group of people we see are the confused, the confused. They are doubters, verse 22 says. Someone who is drifting, not sure really what they believe. They are wandering, they're hesitant, they are wavering. False teachers do this all the time. They don't know what they believe anymore because they have no authoritative truth because the scripture is totally removed. Who are we to act towards the confused? We should be merciful on the confused. That's what he says, right? Have mercy on those who doubt. Now, I'm going to define mercy in a specific way. Mercy is not just giving someone a care package, giving someone a a sack lunch, giving someone kind of a a place to stay at night. Uh, Mercy if it doesn't communicate divine truth, is not kindness. It's just kind of rearranging their head pillow on the Titanic. That's all it is. Mercy is connected to sharing God's truth with people, but it has a certain attitude to it. We should be merciful in how we speak the truth of God. And mercy means you treat them the same way God has treated you, right? God has been merciful to you and patient to you in slowly, persistently giving you his word week after week, day after day. And you should be merciful, patient, and persistent in how you give the word to people who doubt. You should be kind to them, but you should continue to give them the word of God. Now, these people might be friends. They can't be your best friends, but they they might be your friends, and you'll have opportunities to do this maybe often. But the second group of people you might not be as friendly with, these are called followers. They are followers of false teaching to a lesser or greater degree. Notice verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Save others. What are we supposed to do to these followers, these, these people who are following false teachers, who are embracing false teaching? We are to be strong with the followers or the comfortable. Notice the word there. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. This is a strong word. It means you are strong in warning, in urging, in entreating them through God's word to snatch them out of fire. Now, these people might be your friends as well, but I guarantee you, if you interact with them like this, they won't be your friends for long. But that's just something you have to commit in your heart. Hey, it's more important that I am merciful to you than that I'm your friend. The the last group of people is the hardened, we could say. We should be careful with the hardened. You see this in the final part. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by sin. This appears to be more of a persistent unbelief. This could be even like a teacher or somebody like that. But it could be someone who is a scoffer or someone that's really set in their ways. We are to be merciful to them, speak truth when we have an opportunity, but notice with fear, right? Sin has this dangerous impact, particularly with sinners like this who are set in their ways in immorality and sexual sin. It is contagious. We need to be fearful in how we interact with them. Well, the first group 
you might be friends with for a while. The second group, you won't be friends with for very long. This group, you can't be friends with at all because they have this influence. You need to be careful and fearful in how you interact. So you need to take wisdom with you on the mission field. This is a step of perseverance. Believe it or not, it is a step of perseverance to be evangelistic in your life. It'll make you sharper. It'll make you pray more. It'll make you search the Bible more. It'll cause you to understand and learn the gospel better, and it will strengthen your assurance. Evangelism is very powerful, but only if you do it with wisdom. With wisdom. The last step, and here we are at our doxology, 30 minutes later. Take heed of uh, warnings you've received in Scripture. Number two, take personal responsibility in sanctification, and then take mercy and truth with you on the mission field. But this, as John MacArthur would say, is just the introduction. So let's get into our final benediction. Take assurance in God's greatness. Take assurance in God's greatness. There are three causes of worship that will provide for you great assurance in your life. As you do those other things, and if you add this to them, it'll, it'll increase assurance in your life. Let's read this doxology. This may be my favorite doxology of them all. Jude says, Now to him who is able... To keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. Amen. There are three causes. There, there are three worshipful responses that you can follow through following this doxology that will provide for you great insurance in your life as you understand your God. Number one, remember and praise God that God keeps you from final failure. God keeps you from final failure. We understand that God desires us to persist in the faith, right? He, he warns us, he challenges us, he urges us. But notice this, notice how sweet this is. He is able to keep you. You notice the interplay of, of verbs there, right? Keep yourself in the love of God. But undergirding that is this true knowledge that I am not keeping myself. God is keeping me through these means. He is powerfully able to keep. This is a military word for guarding or watching. How, how does God guard your faith? How does God keep your faith? How does God protect your faith? Well, he teaches you the truth about himself, about life, and about yourself. He rebukes you when you go astray. Hey, you're going astray. He shows you the way back to the road. Hey, it's over here. And he strengthens you in training so that you won't go astray again. That's how God keeps you in the faith. 
By the way, this is another way of saying he keeps you in the faith through his word. Because look what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. That is how God keeps you in the faith. And what does this idea of final failure look like? What is the final failure that God keeps you from? Stumbling. It's not never sinning, but it's doing this final, full failure and leaving the Christian faith. God keeps you from final failure. Second cause of worship, God will present you blameless in his presence. We sang two songs that talked about this. Amazing. Verse 24, not only is he able to keep you, but he's also able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Every, every believer, look at this, every believer awaits the same future before God. It's not that some believers are going to be in his presence and other people are going to be hiding outside the front door. It's every believer awaits a presence before God. This, this is crazy. The word there, blameless, refers to, like, without any sin. It refers to being perfect, without spot or blemish, wholly pleasing to God. And notice, you're in the presence of his glory. You're right in front of him. Can you imagine that? You're in the presence of God's glory, and you are blameless. The Old Testament gave you this picture again and again of the presence of God. And the picture that it repeated to you was that you had to be perfect to enter into God's presence for just a little bit, and then you needed to get out of there fast before you died. That was the picture that the Old Testament gave you. Matter of fact, we see people in the Bible again and again enter the presence of God, and they are terrified. Isaiah says, woe is me. He says this, I don't belong here. And then we see Peter in Luke 5 say, Depart from me, for I am a sinner. We see Luke say, You don't belong here, right? Every time someone gets close to God, they realize their sinfulness, and they say, I need to get away from here, or God needs to get away from me. One of the two. But notice this. Look at this. This is amazing. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he takes all of your wrath on himself, and he gives you all of his righteousness, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can anticipate a future of standing in the presence of God, blameless. And notice it gets even better than that. God doesn't just bring you all the way. He makes it so you belong before him. Look at what he says. Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That's your great joy. As you realize the glory of the gospel that he has brought you all the way through. And now he is presenting you blameless in his righteousness. That is the believer's glory and great piercing exclamation. As the psalmist would say in Psalm 16, that is their fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. And you belong there because God brings you all the way there and God presents you blameless before himself. That's the second cause of worship. He keeps you from final failure. He presents you blameless in his presence. But also, just finally, he does all of this because of who he is. Because of who he is. Notice, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Look at who your God is. First off, he is the only God. There's no other God but him. Notice he's referred to as our Savior. Very interesting language. Usually Jesus is referred to as our Savior, but here even the Father gets involved, and he's also considered our Savior. And that shows us that the whole Trinity is involved in our salvation. The Father saves us by sending the Son, by purposing to save us in his love. The Son saves us by performing the work of salvation. And the Spirit saves us by perfecting us, by sealing us for the last day. All of God is our Savior. And this is our God. This gives us great assurance in any trouble. If you trust this God because of who He is, He will bring you all the way and He will even present you before His presence, the presence of His glory with great joy. And we've said this before, but see how God has connected your eternal security to his glory, right? God is determined to bring his beloved ones all the way to the end because he is determined to get glory through them. It's a verse I've been thinking about all week. But notice the sweet chain, the tight logic that is your salvation. Romans 8.30 Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Because of the nature of who your God is, that he's unchanging, When he determines something, it is done. Your salvation is fixed in his nature. And you anticipate in the future exceeding great joy in his presence where you belong. And you have confidence throughout all of life's troubles that he will keep you to the end. That's why you dig into your words so hard. That's why you pray. That's why you develop these disciplines, right? Because you say to yourself, this is exceeding joy. The, The fullness of sanctification in my life is fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, and I want a piece of that even now. I want a piece of that even now. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that we get to sit here under your word and be instructed and encouraged and challenged through it. And I pray that your word would not return void, but it would sink deeply into our hearts, even through how we talk about it this evening. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.